Like the mountain in the soil in the earth, breaking through the rocks, growing wild and tall till the buds begin to pop. Hey, this is Ryan Heron and Amanda Breeze, and we're here to talk about all the fun stuff about one of our favorite plants, cannabis. Uh, stick with us for updates on the industry, the most dank herb, and the explorations of flavor, aroma, and effects. So we're just kind of going to dive into that today, talk terps, talk terpenes, um, and uh, see what's good. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I took a little minute and I, I smoked some tropical infusion from high noon. So I'm like, okay, all right, it's tripping up my words. I'm going <laughs> to blame the weed on that one. We'll see. Um, so yeah, no, that's, that's got me in a good mood and I'm just kind of, I've got the, the sun in the sky today in, in Portland, Oregon here. So uh, that's always something to be thankful for. Tropical sounds delicious. Was it yeah. tasty? How was it? It was. It was. It's um, it's a Tropicana cookies crossed with uh, some purple planet. I think I could be wrong, um, but uh, yeah, it, it was really tasty. It had all those kind of Tropicana terpene vibes uh, with some bonus flavors. Ooh, I've been seeing like a lot of tropical flavors like going around, and uh, people seem to be really pumping this like tropical terpene profile is that like um getting hyped on your end too because i've been seeing like a lot of that here yeah oh totally well i mean hey end of summer vibes yeah oh tell us where you're at by the way so someone just I tuned in i am in toronto it is also a sunny day ish here you know it's the August is coming to a close, and so the city is actually gone completely buck. Um, I swear every person across the entire city is outside doing something right now. There's This weekend was crazy. There's everywhere there could be something, something was happening. So it's definitely like end of summer vibes in the city, which I guess does check out, you know, in terms of flavor that people would be trying to hang on to it. I mean, you live in a place that fall is very wet and not very summery. And I live in a place that fall is very wet and not very summery. So I guess we have to just like hold on to it while we can. Hey, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a crazy scent guy, way into all the smells. And so I will throw on suntan lotion like in February just to kind of just to get a little bit of that summer vibe. So, yeah. Hey, um, I'm really enjoying the tropical infusion. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I've had. Um, I had some coconuts uh, from uh, it was in hash form from happy cabbage here, uh, oh. a, a little while ago. And I was really hoping that that was going to just smell like suntan lotion. And it was instead like kind of like a guava tropical ish vibe, uh, recommended, but a little bit of a letdown when the name didn't really match the name on the tin. Yeah. That's very specific coconut to yeah. not have flavor. Right. Uh, that's why, um, you know, there are some nice melon leaning herbs out there, but anything that's like watermelon Skittles, I'm like, I already know you're overselling. That's true. Yeah. Um, let's see this week. I tried a new infused bevy. Um, there's been mm. some weird, uh, well, not weird. There's been a lot of shortages, uh, of different products across Canada. Um, OCS, which runs, uh, it's like the government on, 
OCS is the Ontario Cannabis Store. They are the government-run organization that provides all the cannabis here. And um, they had like some sort of computer hack. So like a bunch of stores were down, like stuff wasn't being able to be sold. Companies couldn't ship out any of their products here. So there was just like suddenly like this crazy shortage of products. So when I popped into um, Superette last week, they had very limited selection, unfortunately, and including the bevies. Um, And, you know, part of that is due to the popularity of cannabis beverages right now. Like people are really end of summer vibes. They're switching it up. They're going for the tasty bevy category at parties instead of alcohol. Um, But then part of it was also this like crazy shortage that's happening. Um, So I had to try a new flavor. Um, But, you know, my thing is I like sugar free or low sugar um, because I don't like being blasted with a sugary so it just makes my tummy hurt when there's too much sugar in bevies. Um, so I like more of like a, you know, sort of like a bubbly or a LaCroix kind of vibe. Like totally, a yes. water, bubbly water flavored. Yeah. Um, and so the one with the least amount of sugar was was still like 20% sugar um, and had more than five grams, which I think is quite a lot. Um, I liked it. I think it was three and six, three THC, six CBD. Okay. Um, yeah, and I'm a really big fan of high CBD bevies. Sure. Um, so I was really spoiled in Colorado because while I was there, you can go anywhere and get 50, 125 milligrams cans of CBD like at a convenience store, at any shop. And I was just pounding those because they're so freaking good. But here we still have our 10 milligram max. So six is pretty good. But um, I look forward to the day when we have widely available tasty CBD bevies around. But this this beverage I tried this week really got me thinking because I also had um, a can of like Coca-Cola and this infused drink had more sugar than a can of Coke. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, beverages already exist what is the problem here? Why is there so much sugar in these cannabis infused drinks? You know, I just like that as well. The fact that they kind of um, so much of the candy type edibles or so many of the edibles are candy type products, right? Where it's something that's like, we know you want to have so much fun. So here's all the like guilty, super sweet, super salty type things. And it like, one of the latest offerings I saw um, was kind of inspired by black market products. And it is essentially like melted gummies covered in nerds. And (laughs) the fact that this can basically only be sold to adults is, I mean, like how often do you want to eat something like that? Yeah. I'm not really a candy person. I am a chip person personally. So that holds no interest for me. But I like it, but I would never buy it. But I would like to see it. That sounds fun. Um, but yeah, I would never buy a candy-covered candy product. <laughs> That's like literally a hat on a hat. Yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, I do like that most of the beverage options here um, tend to lean towards the soda water, ginger beer, sarsaparilla. Um, there is even Urban Tribe. Uh, at least their initial offerings were all fresh squeezed juices uh, that had to be refrigerated. They had a very short uh, shelf life. 
And I think they've added maybe like a grape since then that's probably from concentrate. I, I couldn't tell you for sure. But uh, it, it's nice that those options exist because I, I really like, especially a high dose uh, beverage in something that you might share. Like if you're mixing up like NA um, THC drinks, or if you have like a punch that you're offering that you're like a hundred milligrams in this bowl or whatever. So people can kind of like self titrate by just like drinking little tiny glasses. I love that. And I think that's so great. And, and, you know, it's funny because that article that came out this week um, in the New York times was really shitting on infused bevies and it's very weird to me that this new approach to consuming cannabis is being criticized so heavily in sort of mainstream media yeah it, it is a little strange it almost feels like um promotion for uh, an alcohol company that was like hey you know let's get ahead of this a little bit um but I, I don't know. I, I think it does speak to how there is some confusion in the market. Like people don't really know. Not everyone can, can just look at a, the number of milligrams in a drink and know if that's going to be a good fit for them or not. And I don't know if there's a better way to communicate that, um, especially something that can be um, homogenized across all of the, the product offerings. That seems a little weird, you know, like, oh, well, I, I know that I can drink pink drinks or whatever because they're low dose. I, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up now. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I think that the industry is still really young when it comes to all, all of the beverage offerings. And once it's matured a little bit, uh, I think we will see less sugar more clear labeling where it's like, this is probably the effect you can expect. Um, and I really hope we get that Colorado model where you can maybe buy it everywhere, CBD or not. Yeah, that would be amazing. I, um, I think it's interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think back to when I first started really consuming alcohol. Um, and especially, you know, when I was living in the States. I just think there's more options for craft and higher percentages IPAs and sort of I just found there was more selection around alcohol, especially in Oregon, you know, you can get fancy 9% sort of kombucha inspired single bottles of things and there's just I found there was a lot of selection. And I try to think back to those times where I was discovering sort of like my tolerance for alcohol, you know, and like what really worked for me and I found through, you know, trial and error that yeah, IPAs truly. are way too strong for me. Um, sure. When it's like six or 7% IPA and you get a six pack. Yeah. That's a guaranteed hangover. I'm not going to have a good time the next day. Yeah. Um, and that was definitely, yeah, I had to drink a few to realize that mistake. Um, and I guess in a way people don't think about, I don't want people to overconsume cannabis beverages, but I think it's sort of aligned with trying any sort of new intoxicating products, there's a little bit of trial and error that happens to it. And maybe you do want to start off with, you know, half and see where that takes you. I think the the problem with, with cannabis edibles and beverages is because often people experience such a delay in effects, they're more likely to overconsume. And I, I think that's just, um, you know, a PR thing, a little bit of information before you take them to understand that uh, maybe just half the can is a good start 
and see where it takes you before you overdo it, um, which maybe might've been a good warning on some of the IPAs that I had last time I was in freaking Oregon too. Split it with a friend, right? Then it's more fun all around. Uh, yeah, you know, and some of the beverage producers I've talked to um, say that, hey, because um, the cannabinoids in here have been nano emulsified or like mixed into the drink in such a way that it is like, it's going to hit your system almost immediately. There's no digestion involved. You don't have to break down the brownie to feel all 25 milligrams in it. It is basically available as soon as you drink the beverage. So you do get like a little quicker onset. Um, so that's all the more reason to share it with someone, right? Because you know, hey, 15 or 20 minutes from now, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what you're in for. And if you need to drink another one, you can. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to start stocking up because uh, just these crazy product delays and the strike going on in BC, um, things are not looking good for the Canadian cannabis industry right now. And uh, it is definitely affecting people's access to products across the board. Yeah, that's really annoying. Um, just because like, you know, hey, you want the things that you want. And that is kind of a a uh, kind of difficult thing with cannabis anyway, right? As so many things change batch to batch or, uh, you know, the strain that you really liked is likely not available anymore. And you just kind of have to like suck it up and say, well, I like to farm. I'll do something else that they're into or try something else. Yeah. And, you know, that's something I was thinking about recently too, is that I've really um, noticed a drop here in the popularity of everyone's favorite blue dream. And I was, you know, thinking to myself, like, what happened? Where did blue dream go? Why is no one talking about my personal favorite strain, the best strain probably in the world? What's happened? And I realized, you know, having so many fake versions of the blue dream has mm. led to people thinking it was all hype and that it wasn't worth the time and people have just stopped buying it. I don't really see it on shelves anymore here. And granted the versions I was finding were always fakes, mm -hmm. um, nothing close to the original California, Oregon, blue dream, the OG stuff. Um, so fair enough, those needed to get out of the market, but unfortunately it sort of ruined the blue dream fantasy for anyone who never got to try the good, good. That is way too bad, right? I, I do feel like um, it's unfair how much hype controls the market and what's available to us, right? And uh, it, it's like previously cannabis was chosen by people who had a lot of uh, history with cannabis, uh, you know, and expertise where they have like grown out hundreds of plants and know what looks really good and know what like the real primo shit is. And they can kind of like gravitate towards that with, with that being like the biggest market factor that everyone will trust me because I know my shit. But now it's more like intake managers, at least here in Oregon, who have to hear from customers who are really like the least clued in of all about what is actually the good shit and might be getting their information from Instagram or from whatever, right? And the things that people are most excited about on there is typically something that is in like a pretty bag and has like a nice story behind it and a cool name, whether that really matches the profile or not. 
So, um, you know, it, it, it kind of goes back and forth because, hey, the growers ultimately decide what gets popped. Uh, but then I think like when you go in, the blue dream is maybe replaced with like ice cream cake, even though it's not nearly as like flavorful or pronounced of an effect. And uh, I, I just spoke with Chem History this morning, uh, a prominent lab here in in Oregon, and they were kind of lamenting that like, yeah, a, a lot of their customers have to say like, look, when other people are putting up test results that are always above 30%, and they're winning because they're making it onto more shelves. Like I have to at least consider that if it's less of a, an accurate representation of the flower and more just like for marketing. Oh, that's really hard to hear. Yeah. Right. And so these are what I would call consumer driven decisions because they're the ones that are pushing for it. Oh, 46%. Hell yeah. I'll put money out for that when people like us are like well that's impossible and what does it smell like it's like old socks in a good way or a bad way right yeah <laughs> that's that's really unfortunate you know i guess that's one of the perks i you know i work a lot with a breeder um and it's just a very small sort of medical grow we focus on different breeding techniques and um we don't actually test the strains um, we kind of go old school where when we're harvesting, we go through what it smells like fresh, how the buds look straight off the plant. Um, we go through, you know, yeah, the aroma right as soon as it's being harvested. And then after a few weeks, we go back and we're, you know, pulling, bucking it down and we're taking a second look at it. And then, of course, we cure it and then we reassess the cannabis again. And that's how we sort of decide um, which strains we want to cross, which strains we want to grow again next year. And it's completely just sensory profiles visually, aromatically, and then, of course, smoking it, testing it out. How did it turn out? What is it all you know, how did it all do overall throughout the growing season? Um, and that's how we decide what to grow next year. And we want to pick our hardiest plants. Um, and we do, we hand pollinate, um, which means that also mid season. So about now and over the next couple of weeks, we're collecting pollen off of our best looking male plants, which is stress central, having the males on the farm. I do not like it, but it's happening. Um, and so we're collecting the pollen very responsibly. And then um, as the female plants are growing, we decide which ones look really good. Which ones do we remember from last year being total fire? And we're going to go ahead and seed specific branches. And then we're going to go ahead and grow those ones next year. And I think that's really like the funnest way of breeding. Um, although, yeah, I am kind of curious at times, what's the potency, but I smoke it. So I know it's potent. I know it's good. I don't need to know the THC to know that this thing is getting me twisted. Um, so it's kind of nice to just sort of go about it more organically in a more relaxed and sensory approach to, to breeding these new strains. So I, yes, man, the industry is, is weird. It, it really is. Right. And I mean, these things are commodity products in a lot of ways uh and that's what we're consuming and i i still enjoy a lot of them i think I, I play for both sides because i really 
respect the old man on the hill and think that like he is growing the fire and that is that is like what I like to consume. Um, but I hey, I like I went into a an electric lettuce last night, um, which is a uh, Sarah owned chain of dispensaries with a like 70s groovy vibe where everything is like plywood and they've got like a shag carpet and you know but i went there at like 9 30 p.m and i just was like i'm I'm here for some edibles so i can like, sleep super easily tonight and while i'm here let me try this uh uh northern lights it wasn't even northern lights because then i would be like yes cool i know what that is but it was like, it, it just had some name that I was like, sure, I guess. Uh, and the weed was fine. And the edible put me to sleep like a little baby. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, this is, this is great too. You know, I like that because if I call the old man on the hill at 9 PM, cause I ran out of weed, he's going to say like, my phone is off. Why are you bugging me? You can meet me like behind the Burger King on Thursday. And I, I don't want to do that anymore either. Um, so I, like I said, I, I really believe that there's like joyful situations in, in all of these contexts, uh, you know, and it's easy to get burned on both too. So it was, Hey, weed is still the same as it ever was, I guess, even though I can go at nine 30 and fill a shopping cart full of edibles. Absolutely. And like for your night edibles, are you going just like, what are you looking for in your night edibles? Like a higher THC? Have you dabbled in the CBN at all? Yeah, I've definitely played with CBN. And um, I, I, if you overdo it, it, for me, it tends to act like melatonin, which makes me really groggy the next day. Mm. Um, THC uh, processed pretty fast for me. And so I, I find that just straight THC uh, works the best for me. And uh, usually a little CBD counteracts that as far as sleep goes. Um, I think that if you're somebody who really needs help sleeping, that's not me, uh, then CBN is probably like a lifesaver. Yeah, I've tried a, a couple of CBN THC pens. Pens, I'm not okay. Huge, I'm not a huge fan of the pen, admittedly. Like, uh, I'm just yeah. not a big person. I love smoking um, and I'll do the edibles sometimes. But yeah, I, I didn't find it... Um, very immediate and it, it might just be the THC balance because then I was just kind of stoned and just sort of wanted to watch TV which is like the opposite of what you want to do when you want to go to bed so yeah I ended up just kind of eating some snacks and binging some television um didn't work for me that's why I was curious what, what you were working on over there you know, I think that that's the exact experience because like, you know, if you ever smoke some old weed that somebody gave you, like they're, they're just like, oh yeah, this is from a year or two ago, but it's just, you know, it's like a half ounce. I'm not going to smoke. Here you go. And you're like, oh, cool. And you smoke a huge joint of it. That's what I end up doing is just falling into the couch and just not even really paying attention to what I'm watching. And I think that that is the CBN experience and you definitely want the ice cream like right here in those situations. Yeah. You know, that's the problem. Now I have a bit of a confession because I am that guy with a ton of weed from like, not last year, not the year before. I actually have a secret stash that I cannot seem to part with 
from Humboldt from probably like six years ago, if not more. Um, and it's because I went there. They had a ton of B. It was an old farm I used to work at. They Blue Dream, uh, Girl Scout cookie. They just had some really classic strains that they were growing there and probably the best I've ever seen. Um, and I just went to visit them just to say hi for a couple days. And, you know, they sent me home with like a ton of stuff. So of course I mailed it out here um, and received my package. And I have, yeah, like probably six plus year old jars, plural, of Blue Dream. And I don't nice. want to smoke it, but I don't want to get rid of it. And I keep these jars closed all the time and it still smells so good. Yes. It looks like shit. It's very brown. It does not look good, but I, I cannot part with it. I have like a, let's call it my vintage cannabis box that sits in my office. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what? I'm even worse. I will smoke every crumb in the house and including like when i have to write a review it is usually like the last little like tiny bud that i saved because i was like oh shit i can't smoke that unless i can write 500 words about it right. uh and so uh yeah I'm, I'm the exact opposite i have friends who are like oh yeah let me go into my archives and they come out of their closet with like oh yeah the green body gorilla glue 2019 like i do have some of that still and i'm like how it's like trying to save an oyster you know it's like it's all it's only gonna get worse but i love that you can just crack into those nugs and still get that like profile and it's it like it's maybe not as vibrant as it once was but like hey it's there you know it's there brings me back to the good days you know the days i long for of the the perfect blue dream days, you know? And, um, well, yeah, it's, uh, I, maybe I need like a filing cabinet or something. I should start storing them, you know, by year and location and stuff. I, I need to do something with it, but I just, for some reason, I, I cannot part with it. And I also, I think from that trip brought back some gorilla glue, which is probably one of my least favorite strains. Oh, um, one of my favorites. You know, I've had some some gorilla glue trauma because we do <laughs> so much of it. Like, yeah, exactly. For Probably like three thousand plants. Like we had so many weeks of trimming gorilla glue, um, and it just yeah, I have a little bit of uh, trauma from that one. So that jar probably smells just like the day I packed it because I don't think I've even opened it. Oh, I would love to get into it. And and Gorilla Glue always uh, oxidize so fast too. One of my like favorite memories is uh, there's a grower here that I, I really love. Um, definitely old man on the hill type. And I was I was showing some showing him some weed, and he goes, "Man, they should give me this cut because if I grew it out, it would be throwing gang signs." just like all <laughs> all stretched out and i'm like yeah, yeah yes i can totally envision it and it's his gorilla glue that like best displays this where it's just you know big spindly calyxes like all plump and stretched out uh yeah i'll always love that flower and when you talk about having mystery pollen on your sleeve that you thought you washed off that you didn't Hey, some of those happy accidents at the farm turn into, you know, something that is on every shelf until someone is sick of it. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because we do a lot of, you know, on the farm, it's all outdoors. So we do a lot of uh, end of season stuff outside, you know, so as we're like taking down the plants and um, we, we don't really do a lot of defoliation before we do the harvest. So like kind of day of harvest or two days before I'll go in and defoliate a lot. But then before we hang, we take everything off. And so yeah. we'll be sitting outside if it's a nice day and really doing it. So we end up having um, a lot of volunteers a uh, surprising number of volunteer plants pop up. Uh, and so this year we have four volunteers. Um, we had more, a couple were males, but two of them ended up in the greenhouse and they're both at, the greenhouse is about 15 feet and they're both about hitting the roof. So oh, you don't know what it is. It's just ginormous. There's yes. two of them. And then somehow perfectly last year and this year where the house is, there's sort of like a nice little herb garden out front. And we've had two volunteers pop up at the front of the house as well. So it's really cute because as you're walking up to the house, it's like we planted them there as part of like. <laughs> like welcome. Yes. Last year too, there was just like two little perfect. And it could be, oh, maybe we were rolling and we, you know, flicked a seed out onto yeah. the lawn. But these volunteers are just so perfect and mixing and growing with the herbs. And last year it was definitely some sort of, we were calling it Goliath because it was hitting the roof of the greenhouse and like bending itself in, you know, it was just this giant, I mean, the leaf was like as big as my torso. It was crazy. Um, no clue what it was, but maybe some sort of grape origin. Um, it had a lot of this sort of deep grape aroma coming through. Um, but harvested, yeah, we ended up making hash out of that particular plant because it was a little bit mildewy in certain places. So not quite to the standard we'd like to keep with our flower, but too crystally, too gorgeous to just part with. So um, and ended up making some really beautifully colored hash. It was turned out for a volunteer. That's not bad. I think we got half a pound off of that plant. Yeah, seriously. That's always really exciting. Um and just like those rando plants that just pop up or you're like, you're supposed to be here. If you made it through all of that and no one gave you any love and it's still like rocking you're like, okay, cool. You can hang out. You've earned yes. it. Those are the winners. Those are always the winners. Uh, I remember going to uh, 54 acres last year for harvest um, in Medford, um, Southern Oregon. And their whole thing is that they just do monster plants. Like, these things are 25 feet high um, and like triple trellised and you can't even like go and check on the plants without like the big ladder. Um, and uh, their whole thing is that they say that, you know, you got to have super deep holes or you have to have really, the, the roots have to have a lot of access if you want the plants to get that big. Um, and on top of that, like, harvest is a real pain in the ass where people are like, we have three guys holding the ladder because the ground is like kind of spongy over here and somebody up there just like lopping off pieces. Um, but it is, it's really awesome to see not only all of these like 25 foot plants, but the fact that all of these plants could get to be 25 feet, right? Like they have 40 different cultivars in their separate fields and it's like, if you treat this plant right, like it will get monstrous. 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, nutrients, organic nutrients play a big role in that as well. We do a lot of foliar feeding, which is when you mix the nutrients and spray it directly on the leaves. And that just, they just pop, right? They just, they love that. They want that. They soak it right in. But that's also just like why I love outdoor growing because they really do get that big. And of course, you know, some people prefer to grow the smaller stuff. That's fine too. Sure, for all the reasons, um, yeah. Know, Girl Scout cookies, certain strains are always going to be a little bit more petite, but man, I love those big ones. But yes, as someone who has done many, many harvests on many outdoor grows, there is nothing more annoying as a short person having to climb a giant freaking ladder to get to the top of the plant, uh, just to decide that, you know, and the ground is spongy, your ladder's freaking sinking, you know, you're flailing around, you got your shit everywhere, trying to keep the weed out of your hair. Um, it's hectic. It is definitely hectic. And then you get to the top and you decide it could wait a couple more days. Let's just see. What uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Up there with your jeweler's loops swinging back and forth. Yeah, that is that's how it goes sometimes. Man, I believe it. Well, hey, I want to take a quick break, um, get a refill, and then we can come back and uh, get into the next thing we're going to talk about. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's our thing, right? Terpenes, smells, flavors. Um, you know, I, I think what's interesting about cannabis is that, um, a lot of people in our industry are just jumping into understanding what terpenes are and how they affect our bodies. And so it's, I always try to remind people that, you know, terpenes are common in every plant. Um, they're basically scent molecules it is you know the the base of scent it is where smells come from and a terpene um is just sort of the scientific word for smells you know these smell molecules and so when we're talking about terpenes and cannabis these are the same terpenes that we would find in an orange or on a pine tree so anytime you're experiencing aroma you're experiencing these terpenes entering your body and terpenes essentially will affect your energetics your mood um, they can have uh, your body will have physical responses to terpenes um, psychologically they affect you as well so when you cut into a lemon, it's the same zest and energizing aroma as when you're smelling a limonene rich cannabis strain. We're experiencing this limonene terpene, which smells reminiscent of lemon. And it's the same one in any botanical source that would feature that lemony scent probably has some limonene in it. Um, so that's sort of the, the essence, the simplest way of describing terpenes. They're smell molecules and we smell them. And I, I love it. Yes. Bodies. Yeah. Um, right. And, like, and I, you can't see these molecules because they're so small, but I, I think it's helpful to visualize them. Right. Because we've all seen particles. We've all exhaled smoke and seen the way that it kind of plays in the air. And if there's a warm draft, it goes up. It's cold. It falls. Um, these molecules are all they all have their own individual weights 
and scent, you know, it's, it lifts up, it comes off of the plant, it kind of drips and falls down and bounces off things. If you're out somewhere and you smell weed or roses or garlic frying, um, those molecules, you cannot see them, but you can visualize them all the way back to the pan of olive oil and garlic. Um, and for me, at least, I, I feel like that that helps me um, kind of uh, direct my nose in the right places and picture the scent as like a living thing that isn't just uh, a bass note that exists, but it is alive and jumping around and communicating and falling apart and separating into different molecules. Uh, it's it's kind of fun. That. I love that because I've never thought about it, but I actually do that as well. And I really do imagine them as these bubbles, um, these orbs that are existing, especially when you start to think about how terpenes affect our bodies, because just by smelling them, just a sniff of a smell, it's actually terpenes begin to enter your bloodstream quite quickly. And that's what has the effect on your system. Um, so within five minutes of smelling something, it will affect you. In, it will affect all kinds of systems of your body, especially when we're talking about isolated terpenes or essential oils. When we're talking about terpenes in their very concentrated forms, that's when we start to notice these effects happening almost immediately. And a good thing to think about is, is terpenes in essential oils or terpenes as isolates or in concentrated blends that you can get from you know, dispensaries or online or whatever. These concentrated forms of terpenes, really you notice the effects more immediately. Absolutely. And I have some uh, isolates here that I'm kind of digging into. I went and raided my uh, terp pantry here like one minute before we started recording, grabbed like the first four that were close to me. Um, but I have some fun isolates. So an, an isolate is the uh, the molecule. Most of these are found in our compounds found in cannabis um, that have been isolated from everything else. Right. So uh, this eucalyptol here that I have from two terpenes. Uh, it's rather old at this point, but it still smells incredibly like just the best eucalyptus. They're like the strongest eucalyptus smell. Um, and that's because it is uh, quite pure and it's just that one molecule that has been separated from everything else um, as, uh, as a solution that I can open up and smell it's really quite pungent. And I can feel, um, you know, my, my airways kind of opening up and uh, eucalyptol gives me like an energizing kind of focus. Uh, and that's really apparent when I have it just here in a little two milliliter bottle, I can just huff anytime I feel like it. Yeah, that's kind of the point of things that smell, you wanna smell them. Um, I always think it's really interesting, you know, science um, that some terpenes are liquids and some terpenes are solids. So your eucalyptol is a liquid, but the menthol, which is mint, is actually crystalline and quite solid in its most natural form, which kind of really blows my mind that they take different forms because all these molecules are so different. Yeah, yeah. And, and there is like a ginormous range of these. And the, when you get into like rare terpenes or terpenes that are found less often than others um, or in in much less concentrations than others, uh, you start to see how a flower can have 400 or 1600 uh, aroma compounds. 
and why it's so difficult to kind of cheat these uh, when, you know, cannabis was just being analyzed for the market and we were testing for maybe 14 terpenes and then uh, terpene companies were trying to recreate these profiles with five or six terpenes. And, you know, you can get like a, an idea of the scent, but you're never going to get that. I'm going to save this for six years, blue dream type scent that is so complex uh, that it, that it like light, just like lights you up. Um, you can get a, like a, a hint of that. Right. And sometimes all you need is a hint to convey the message, uh, but it's not the same experience. It's not exactly the same, but I would say that um, with abstracts terpenes, which is another brand we both love, um, their blue dream is very, very, very close, almost exact, like just right there. And when I smelled that for the first time, it was the first time in years that I remembered this is what it smells like. You know, it's got those deep kind of grapey undertones and just this full bodied hits you in the face blue. Like it's just so, so good. And theirs was very close to the real thing. Um, and I think that was my first experience working with um, a terpene blend where I was actually like, oh yeah, this it's is getting very sophisticated, especially abstracts. I mean, they, they really do care about weeds. So they're trying to do a sophisticated recreation of that profile. And they're using other compounds than beyond just terpenes, right? So like I said, when we were six or seven years ago, only testing for 14 terpenes and then maybe 40, I think now, um, uh, abstracts test for nearly a thousand aroma compounds. Yeah. So it's, we're getting really close. And I mean, these, this is the exact same technology that companies like, uh, uh, impossible beef or what was what the brand of that, uh, plant-based beef product? Oh, beyond the beyond. Yeah. Beyond right. Beyond and impossible. These, these companies, they're yeah. using the same like headspace technology to examine the, uh, the scents that are produced from frying meat, uh, to recreate, or at least come very close with molecules created from yeast or other plant-based products. Um, and, and we're getting really close. So I, I think that it's like, give it time and um, we'll be able to like spray a dream in your face and you'll be like, oh, oh yeah. Oh, I, I just dreamt like I was on a tropical island for the last two months and yeah, had a great I would time. Love that. I, think, I think a smell that I would love to capture um, would be like that um, April, May, spring breeze that smells kind of like sweet grass when you're standing on top of a hill and you just get that sweet spring breeze. Like to me, that is like, so that is perfection. That is aroma perfection. It's nature. It's the sun. It's got everything in it. And uh, that would be my first choice of uh, if I had the, the capabilities to, to suck a smell, that would be the first one I go. With. We are going to set you up for this to happen because, <laughs> and it has to be specifically your hill because you know, it's like a Demeter, they make a, uh, a dirt smell, right? And there's there's like a disclaimer in their, in their scent profile that says like, this is the dirt we grew up with. And it smells like our grandma's backyard and digging for worms. Like if you grew up in Tennessee and there's more clay or somewhere else where the dirt didn't smell like this, like we're sorry that this doesn't smell like your dirt. I love uh, it. 
Yeah, which is pretty fun. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to uh, hopefully not the lost episode where you're talking about making the uh, the rainwater. Oh, is that that? Yeah, that's true. I was, I'm like trying to remember when we talked about that. But yes, I did a semi-successful hydrosol that did smell like rainwater and was able to capture that rainwater smell by accidentally ruining a rose hydrosol um, <laughs> in boiling rocks, boiling rocks instead. So hey, rose garden on a rainy day, I think is a wonderful name for a, a scent that you might use in something. Yeah, we're gonna, we'll have to dig that one up sometime for sure. But um, yeah, we're cutting it close to time here. Yeah, I, I think that we gave kind of like a nice intro into terpenes and what they are and how people can kind of like scratch below the surface to get into these profiles. And uh, if you're in one of these regulated markets where they're starting to put terpene percentages and test results on, uh, on your products, um, ask about those, ask for those. That's like a much better indicator of what you're going to get over THC percentage. Um, yeah, labs have much less uh, incentive to bullshit you on terpene percentages. It just, no one cares that there's that much myrcene in there. They would rather give you a larger terpene test and say like 3% terps or 5% terpenes. So you can get really excited about that. Um, so it is a pretty good indicator of quality, especially when you find like your top four or five terps that you like to look for in a profile. Yeah. And, you know, um, sensory profiles, we're starting to see more of them coming out from different brands that are doing their smell tests, exploring those profiles. And um, I've been wanting to see more of that in a more dynamic way on packaging as well. As much as I love seeing all the terpenes listed and hell, if you want to list a hundred terpenes or a thousand terpenes for me, I'll read, I'll sit down for an hour and read the list. No problem. <laughs> but I think sometimes those can be summed up a little more succinctly and a little more dynamically in the way that we talk about perfumery. Or again, the way we talk about alcohol, like um, like we were saying earlier, when you go to a, buy a craft uh, alcohol product, whether you know it's a, a fancy beer or whatever, it describes its flavor and its energetics. And sometimes they're really fun. And it's like, you know, takes you back, brings you to a memory, brings you to a place. Like, let's start bringing that into these terpene profiles um, so that when we buy something called coconut, but it tastes like guava, we know, because that's okay. But if we need to work off the information we're being given, so I think a nice balance of all of the things moving forward is going to be really fun. Yes. For everyone. Yes. I want someone to walk in to uh, a little mom and pop shop and buy um, a color-coded edible and get the experience they want. And I want to go to like the boutique spot where I have to be buzzed in and I get a jar that has like a booklet, like in collaboration with an artist and there's like poems and 20 pages of terpene results. And that's, that's what I want. That's the experience I'm here for. So I hope everyone can kind of like connect with what works best for them. You know, I will just add that uh, there was a recent ad campaign that came out um, from, I believe, Green Seal, and okay. they did um, a virtual interactive ad in a free magazine, a free cannabis magazine publication here. Um, and basically, when you held your phone to it and had your camera on, you were able to move your phone 
like you were inside the garden, like you were inside the drying room. And as you move your phone, it was taking you around all of these moments and all these places. And for me, that was like such a breakthrough in advertising, um, in showing the back end of how these things are happening, what it looks like. You know, not everyone's had the the privilege to walk onto a weed farm and see the plants in action or see a drying room or stand on a freaking ladder. So it's cool to be able to see like, oh, this is what's happening in, in this is how this is processed and this is how we care for our plants. And I think it would be really fun to get some of these virtual sensory profiles going as well is sort of what I've been thinking of lately is like, how can we combine this neat technology that literally takes us into the growing process but bring the flavor and bring that, the vibe of the, the product into it as well. I am all for it. Give me all the sensory experiences. And I will sit here and like, you can go into Google maps and even go inside some dispensaries here um, and see the shelves, which is such a cool little like, oh, hey, I didn't know I could do that. Um, so, hey, if you're in one of these states where things are still locked down, um, go surf a dispensary, go check this uh, ad that uh, Amanda was talking about and hopefully get some little sensory experience to go along with it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds cool. And if you have your favorite smoking spot in the past right now, we want to hear about it. Um, go on our Instagram at the dot smoking spot on Instagram and uh, message us there. Or follow uh, Amanda and I on Instagram. I'm at the loud 100. Amanda at emerald.temple.living. Yes, we have those cool cannabis shadow, shadow bands. So you have to type in every single letter to find us, but we're findable and we we post often. Um, and so worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So here's that smoking spot, and uh, we'll come back and wrap up the show. It's nice to meet you. I'm Jasmine. Um, I live in Calgary in Canada, and I'm from the UK and also lived in Australia for a while and have been working in cannabis for a bit and primarily do marketing stuff. But um, So the first one is every year a few members of the community at the Banff Center would build an igloo and it's like super hard work but it's so satisfying and it lasts all winter. Um, so a few of us in the evenings would set up in the igloo with like some speaker and some snacks and blankets and lights and just like completely hotbox it until the smoke was so thick you could barely see the other person's face. Um, and then eventually, of course, we would get too cold and have to crawl out, but it was dug down. So onlookers from a certain angle would suddenly just see three stoners pop out of the snow in the middle of the night, which was quite funny. And the other spot I had um, was also in the Rockies. So um, in summer, I used to love smoking while I was hiking and exploring out in nature. And one day I was hiking through the forest and took this detour from the path um, along this barely visible track that I had just noticed. Um, and I came out at the edge of this ridge on like a cliff edge looking out at like this big gap in the river below. And I had this huge tree that had grown sideways over the edge to so the branches, like outstretched across the ravine. Um, but it was still firmly rooted. So you could easily like walk out and sit on a branch with your legs dangling over the drop to the river. And that's like the best place to get high, just in nature with an amazing view, 
And I went back there all the time. No one was ever there. I don't think anyone else knew about it. So it was my little secret spot. Okay. Awesome. And lastly, we're just going to do a quick shout out to my friend, Austin Warren, who wrote and recorded our fantastic theme song. He's on Instagram at Gator Troubadour, and you can find his music at GatorTroubadourMusic.bandcamp. Thanks so much for tuning in. Yeah, everyone. thanks so much, guys. We'll be back next week. Hope you will be too. And uh, go ahead and hit us with those questions and smoking spots. Bye. Talk soon. Hold it down and don't ever stop. Well, you can always find your smoking spot. Yeah, you can always find your smoking spot.